Since getting married, um, my wife has quickly found out that I am not a person that likes to really go anywhere. I'm more of a homebody person. I, I don't really like to be out all the time. I just like to be home. And she at times is like, let's go do something. And I'm like, babe, I just want to be at home with you. Like, I love you. I just want to be here. Um, but that changed quickly a couple weeks ago when she gave me the opportunity and she was like, hey, we got uh, park hopper passes to Disneyland. Would you want to go with my mom and my sister and us too? And I said, that changed right away. I'm no longer a homebody when you bring Disney into the picture, okay? I'm going to Disney without a doubt. So we get on a plane last week and we fly to LA and we land in LA and LA is awesome. Um, I don't want to ever live in LA. There's, everything is too slow and everybody wears skinny pants and it's just not, not for me. So, um, but as I was in LA, uh, the one thing you have to do in LA when you land is you have to rent a car. And you think, like, traffic is bad here. It, it is, and it, it's pretty bad there, too. But when we rented the car, like, when you land in a place that you've never been before, and my wife had been once, and so you really don't know what you're doing, but you have to learn how to navigate the city. Um, and, and normally that takes a pair. Like, it's hard for the driver, if you're an actual good driver and you're not on your phone, to actually navigate where you're going as long as you're driving. It's not responsible, so don't be on your phone as you drive. But as we did this in L.A., um, the first day, my mother-in-law, she drove, and it was easy. I was a great navigator from the passenger seat. Um, but the second day, uh, she wanted me to drive, really, the first afternoon and the second day. And I said, great, I'll drive, um, but my wife, she'll navigate from the back seat. Man, I, I felt like it was about to be World War III when she started navigating from the back seat. Like, we are getting up on the turn. Like, the day before, I'm like, hey... Kelly, that's my mother. I'm like, hey, we got about a mile. We're going to make her right. My wife, no, she's not like that. She's like, oh, hey, babe, it's like 100 feet, 50 feet. Oh, okay, we're past it. You didn't make the turn. Like, I'm like, babe, like, I just can't go across. Like, I can't, like, I can't do this. And then um, I was like, in a moment, I didn't really say it this way. It, it might have come out a different way, but I was like, babe, you're not the best um, navigator. You're really great at a lot of things, but you're not the best navigator for me from the back seat. And um, then she was like, you do this every time we get in the car. Like, this is how you are every time we get in the car. And I'm like, no way, I'm not. And then she starts rattling off time after time after time where she has yelled at me and talked to me about, like, why are you telling me where to go? I know where I'm going. Like, multiple times. Like, she had a, almost a laundry list of times of, like, when I've done this. And I'm like, okay, I do this. Great. One of those times we were driving um, in Old Katy where my wife is a full through Entire from birth to now, never left old Katie. Like old Katie, Katie Texan is who she is deep down at the core of herself. Um, that's not me, by the way. So we're in the car up near an old Katie somewhere, and we both know where we're going. She's driving her car. I'm in the passenger seat, and we go by the turn on the Morton Road, which I thought we needed to turn on to get to where we were going. And I'm like, babe, you like, do you not know where you're going? Are you lost? I'm like, we needed to turn there. She's like, we don't need to turn there. And I'm in the passenger seat. She's driving. She's like, I'm like, babe, you should have turned back there. And she gives me this look. Like the look of like, like I don't know what it was. I love my wife. She's beautiful. But I, the, this look, I'm not liking this look. And she looks at me and she says, you're not going to tell me how to drive in Katy, Texas. She said, I grew up in Katy, Texas. I lived my whole life in Katy, Texas. And she even said something. She's like, this is my hood. I said, hold on there. Hold on there, Post Malone. I don't know what you're talking about, hood. Like, y'all talking about Katie, like, we are still talking about Katie. Like, y'all don't know what the hood is. I'm sorry. When you take picture with blue bonnets and eat Whataburger, you're not sure what the hood is. She's like, this is my hood. No, it's not a hood. My goodness. You know what we take pictures with in, in the hood? What we take pictures with? Graffiti art. 
That's what we take pictures with in the hood, okay? So when you take pictures with blue bonnets, you don't live in the hood. I didn't say that to her. I just let her keep going, okay? And I was like, babe, the hood, what are we talking about? But anyway, I was trying to navigate the car from the passenger seat. And it dawned on me this week as I was studying this passage and as I was planning for tonight, as we're in our collection of talks called Movement, how often do we do that with God? How often do we try to navigate the way we're supposed to go in life? How often do we try to navigate the plan which God has for us from the passenger seat rather than letting God be God in the driver's seat and get us to where he wants to take us? I think it kind of looks like this for me. From the backseat of the car, I find myself maybe saying this to God. Hey, God, turn right here. That's where my stop is. That's where I'm supposed to be. Hey, God, like, I'm supposed to make this sports team. Like, hey, God, I'm supposed to go here on Friday night. Like, hey, God, you need to let my parents tell me, tell me that I can go to that party on Friday night. Hey, God, I'm supposed to be a part of that club. Hey, God, I'm supposed to be on the band. Maybe this one lands you. Hey, God, I'm actually supposed to date that person. And what we're looking for is, I think oftentimes as Christians, we're looking for God to sign off on our plan. God is not in the business of signing off on our plan. God, how do I know this? Because in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding. Verse 6, In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. God does not need a backseat driver for your life. God does not need you and I to sit in the backseat of the car and say, God, you, I think you've messed up. I think God is pretty good at figuring out the path and the plan for our life. Why? Because that's his job. Because he's the creator. Because he knows it more than you, are, more than you do. The Bible says that God's ways are higher than my ways. And the same is true with the plan in our life. But here's the good news tonight. Here's the encouragement. We are not the first people to struggle with this. Like people have been struggling with backseat driving. This encouraged, this encouraged me. Because as I, my wife tells me to repent of my sin of backseat driving, I know that I am not the first person to struggle with this. This was happening like thousands of years ago. People were struggling with backseat driving. Like they didn't even have cars, but they were still struggling with backseat driving. They were just walking. The first point, if you're taking notes tonight, is that God's route isn't always the shortest route. God's route is not always the shortest route. And we're going to be in Exodus 13, verses 17 through 22. And it says, Pharaoh, when Pharaoh, sorry, when it, it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, comma, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Verse 18, so God led the people around the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because, because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He said, God, will you surely come your aid and then you must carry up my bones from this place. Verse 20. After leaving, I'm just going to go past that. They camped at Etham 
on the edge of the desert, you're like, that's a bad pastor thing. I'm just being real with you. I'll butcher that name up here. Um, verse 21. By the day of the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of a cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of the cloud by, any, by day nor the pillar of the fire at night left its place in front of the people. Neither the pillar, verse 22 again, neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Coming back to verse 17, it says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. And here's the truth. If you know anything about this time period, um, what they're talking about is when they're leaving Egypt, they could have gone on a direct route to where the destination of where they were going, and it would have been right up this road um, that goes along the coast, and it's actually a road that is used for trade during that time. So what, what does that mean? Um, it's simple. It was an actual road that people lived and worked and used. And God didn't go on that road, and what did he do? He went into the wilderness. He led the people into the wilderness. And why is the road of trade important? Because the road of the trade, to us, it would be the things that provide our safety. It would have had food. It would have had roads, one. That would have been a big help for them. It would have had food. It would have had water. But what they did not think about as they were thinking about their path is that it also had Egyptian military outposts on it. And you're like, why is that a big deal? We're going to find out here in just a second. God might not take you on the most direct path to what he promised you because he knows the obstacles that you cannot see. God knows the things in our path that we cannot see. And in verse 18, it literally says this, and it's going to come true in a minute. And it says, if they face war, talking about the Israelites, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. He took them a roundabout way through the wilderness so that they would not turn back and give up. God knew that if he took them down the trade route, that if he took them on the fastest, easiest way that they could, they would have eventually hit a military outpost for the Egyptians, and they would have been so scared that they would have turned. They would have, rather than keep going, rather than keep walking on the path, rather keep doing the way that God wanted them to do, they would have turned and ran back into slavery in Egypt. So God said, okay, I'm not taking you that way because I know you're going to end up going back to the very thing I just brought you out of. So we decided to take them a roundabout way through the wilderness. And I can only imagine as the Israelites are leaving and Moses is leading them, um, I can only imagine that there is somebody in the crowd that is a backseat driver. I, I can only imagine. And they, like, I can just imagine as they're walking out and the road for the trade route for the safest or for the shortest, quickest, fastest route is left. And they're going right into a wilderness that they probably don't know much about. I can only imagine that there's somebody out there as they start to turn that right turn that somebody in the back is like, hey, Moses, we're going the wrong way. Like we were supposed to turn left. Like, and Moses, I, I just know Moses. First time, you know, if you've got a backseat driver in your car, you just ignore it the first time. Like, I didn't hear that in Jesus' name. I didn't hear that. And then he's like, no, bro. Like, bro, we need to do a U-turn. Like, it's like Siri. They, they pulled out Siri in the backseat. They're like, hey, it's saying reroute us. Like, go back the other way. Like, we got to get, like, here, like, in Jesus' name, that person better stop back there before I turn around. They're not ready for this tonight. Um, and then he's like, bro, bro. And then, like. Bro, we're going the wrong way. Finally, I'm sure Moses turns around. He's like, bro, 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 bro. Sorry, Moses had a stuttering problem. Just shut up. Just shut up. I'm sure Moses turned around and was like, bro, just shut up, okay? I know where I'm going. 
I'm not going your way. I'm not going my way. I'm going God's way. How many times in our life do we end up deciding our path? Do we end up deciding our direction based on our way rather than God's way? Rather than God's way. I could just... So this gives me hope tonight. Why? Because I know the next time that I'm in a car and I'm driving and someone like Seth or somebody is in the back seat or Kale or Evan and they're back there and they're like, bro, we're going the wrong way. Like, you missed the stop. Like, bro, we're not. I'm like, bro, shut up in Jesus' name. I'm not doing this no more. Don't, don't say that. Even in Jesus' name, it's not good. Your mom will, don't do that to your mom or your dad. I'm just telling you, that's a bad day. You don't want to go down. Like, my pastor told me, no, I did not say that. I will deny that, and I will lie that I said that here. There's no video evidence either. (laughs) The people, Moses was taking them God's way, not their way. And then verse 22, I just want to point this out one more time. It says, uh, verse 21, actually, by the day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel day or, by day or night. Uh, this is hard to understand, but I think we can get it tonight. Literally, there was a pillar, and, and if you ask me to describe what the pillar looked like, I'm, I just know what the Bible said, a pillar. So you, you, whatever you think a pillar is in your mind, that's what the pillar was. Okay, I don't know. But it was a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire in front of them and would guide the Israelites as they walked into the wilderness, as they moved on in their plan. And I think that's important because it says clearly that the, in the end of verse 22 that the pillar was placed in front of the people. That the pillar was in front of the Israelites. You're like, that's not important. It's going to be in a second. Point two, if you're taking notes, God always provides a way. God always provides a way. We're going to jump to Exodus 14 quickly tonight because this timer is just sprinting by. When you're having fun, it goes by fast. Um, Jumping to Exodus 14, and what's happened here is a lot. The people of Israel, they have literally been in the wilderness, and then God has brought them to the Red Sea. And he's kind of brought them to a place where, like, like they're not going, like, they're, like, at the Red Sea. And they're like, well, we can't go that way, Moses. And the army now, the, the Egyptian army, what has happened is Pharaoh has taken the Egyptian army, 600 of the best chariots, and I don't, a chariot, like, like, that's the best y'all got. Like, okay, 600 of those. We'll bring those. And an army, and it was a powerful army in Egypt. So, and they're behind the Israelites. So the Israelites are kind of at a crossroads here. They're kind of like, like, God, like, what? Like, Moses, what you doing, bro? Like, we, we are at the Red Sea now. Like, we can't go forward. And the Israelite army is behind us. And this is what they say. This would be me. I'm just telling you. This is me. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and, they were, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done bringing us out here, out of Egypt? Didn't we say, say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It, should have been, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Like they literally believe at this moment, the Israelites, the people of God, the, that have been delivered out of slavery, delivered out of the very thing that kept them in chains. They believe at this moment that God, uh, they're not sure of the plan, so what do they automatically think? They're like, dude, they just, dude, Moses brought us out here. This is a plan. Like he worked up with Pharaoh. Like they just didn't have enough like room to put us in the ground when they killed us in Egypt. So they're like, let's get them in the wilderness and let's kill them. Like that's what they thought like. Like, that's me, I think. Like, when I came to the, when you come to the crossroad and you're like, God, I can't go forward because there's a sea in front of me and the enemy is behind me. Like, 
Like, did you just bring me out here to die? And remember when we just talked about it, that, that small verse that we read, it talked about how why Moses, or why God didn't bring them down the path of trade was because he knew if they faced war, what? They would turn around and run back to Egypt. So at the first moment, and God just like, here, I told you this was going to happen. The first moment that they face war, they, what is their first thought? Like, hey, I'm going to go back to being a slave. Like, I'm going back to that thing. I'm going back to that sin. The first moment when people, I think as Christians, when we step out of the thing that God has had us in slavery, and whether it is addiction or alcohol or pornography or, or I don't know what it is for you in here, but no matter what it is, God breaks us free of that. And then what happens oftentimes is we come up to our first obstacle on our freedom path, and what do we say? Man, it's almost easier for me just to go back to that thing of satisfaction. I would rather go back than figure out what God's doing here. I would rather run back to that slavery. I would rather run back to that thing that I was addicted to than try to keep walking hard when it gets hard with God. I need to breathe. Okay, verse... Someone help me. Verse what were we at? Verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on the dry ground. Like, like I'm like Moses. I'm like, hey, guys, I know this is not a basketball game, but I need a timeout here, God. Like, like you, you want me to do what? You want me to, like, this is, an, this is a sea. And you're like, not a big deal, like the Red Sea. To them, it's a big deal. Like, they didn't have, like, these little, like, fish cameras that see what the fish are underneath. It's like, we don't, they don't go in aquariums and, like, see animals, okay? They're, they're like, the sea is deadly. And now they're standing at it with the enemy behind them, the people that are trying to kill them behind them. And they're like, you want us to go through that? And what does he say? God says, hey, Moses, take the staff and reach out and open it. Imagine being Moses, like, you're like, no, oh, God, not yet, like, what's up here, God, like, like you said, like, and then I just imagine Moses, like, one time he's just, like, does it fast, he's like, okay, and it opens, like, he's like, you think about how nervous that is, like, what if it doesn't open, that's what he told you to do, and you're like, nothing, this isn't like Harry Potter, it didn't work, like, like, what's going on here, but he, but he reaches out, he reaches out, and it opens, and then it says in verse 19, if we can jump there, the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of the Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front of them and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. I want you to get this picture tonight. That no matter where you are, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what is going on, in your life. The Israelites, they were at the Red Sea, and you see, they weren't sure what was in front of them, but they knew that the armies of Egypt was behind them, and what happened is God 
in the form, the angel of God and, and the pillar and the cloud, which is the representation of God in this moment, moved from in front of the people to where? To behind the people. And God is saying to them, hey, hey, I know there's an army behind you, but the reality is they will not get to you because I am in the way. So I don't know where you're at in your walk tonight, but there is an there might be something nipping at your heels from behind you. Maybe it is an addiction. Maybe it is a friendship. Maybe it is something. I don't know what it is. But I'm telling you right now that God is in the way. I love the song Surrounded. Why? Because it says that even though I might be surrounded by my anxiety, I might be surrounded by my fear, I might be surrounded by the thought of not being good enough, I might be surrounded by all these things. The truth is that God is surrounding me more. That God is the protector of my life. Anxiety and the devil and all these things, they cannot get to me because God is in the way. There is a protection which God puts around us. And we see it here with the Israelites. God protected the Israelites. Moses called back the seas. And this is the moment that I just don't understand. I don't, like, imagine now the seas are like, the seas became a wall. And you're walking through the dry land of a sea that, used to, that has always been a sea. And now it's a like, wall. I just imagine being an Israelite like... That's a shark, I guess. I'm, I'm not sure. Like, like, that looks scary. Like, like what is that thing? A seahorse? That's weird. But just imagine, that's an, I don't know why I said it. Just, just imagine being walking through a sea. Kind of like an aquarium, I guess. Um, when the last point I have, and I'll, and I'll get done, I promise. The last point, uh, it says this. And this is probably the most important point tonight. It's when God says move, move. And when God says stay, stay. When God says move, move. And when God says stay, stay. Numbers 9 verses 22 and 23 say this. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for a day or for a month or for a year, the Israelites would remain in the camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. And the Lord's army, or the Lord's command them, at the Lord's command they encamped, and at the Lord's command they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. We jumped ahead to Numbers, and, and there's a lot in here, and there's a, talking about a tabernacle, and it's talking about a cloud that's over it. But the, the reality is, is that the cloud just is a representation of, G, uh, uh, of God's presence with the Israelites, and they were following a, clou a crowd, cloud, not crowd. And I, just imagine going to bed one night and, like, like, just laying down and then, like, waking up and be like, oh, the cloud's gone. I got, we got to go. We got to move. Then sometimes you'd like go to bed and you wake up. The cloud's still here, guys. We're good to go. We're good. We're good. But everything they did, every step they took, every move they made, it was because the cloud and really because God told them to move. My question tonight, are we willing to move when God says move? And are we willing to stay when God says stay? I debated sharing this, but... As I was dating my now wife, um, we were about a year into dating, and I had a lot of people in my life um, say, like, hey, bro, like, what are you waiting on? Like, you need to get engaged. Like, like what, like, what you, you're going to lose, like, she's the best thing that ever happened to you. 
Uh, you better lose, uh, you need to get engaged. And that was about a year in. And the truth is we dated for about two and a half years. And it's simple and it's not the most spiritual thing and it's not to say, hey, look how spiritual he is. I just felt in my heart that God said stay. That even though the world around me, even though people I trusted, even though things that I trusted, people in my life that were awesome, godly people said, hey, it's time to move on and get engaged. I just knew the presence of God was telling me, no, 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 stay right here. And then it was uh, in August or uh, I'm messing up the month right now, but it it was in the summer and I remember reading the scripture and I remember talking about a helper And I remember just so clearly that God said, hey, Ryan, time to move. So what did I do? I was like, crap, God, I didn't prepare for this. I got no money. (laughs) But no, I I decided to move because God said move. And I'm not trying to over-spiritualize it. I'm not at all. But the truth is, are we willing to move when God says move in our life? And are we willing to stay when God says stay? And tonight, I think God is asking some of us, I I truly believe this, that God is asking each one of us tonight to move in some way. The first person that he's asking to move tonight is that someone that has walked in here not knowing Jesus, someone that has walked in here in the enslavery of the Egyptians, someone that has walked in here in a mess. And your move tonight is that you need to move towards Jesus and make him the savior of your life. That's your move, if that's you. The second move in here is that some of you, you've made that decision. You've decided, I'm going to move towards Jesus. I want Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. But you've never made the move in obedience to be baptized. And tonight, there's some of you that you need to make a move in obedience to what God has commanded us to do. You need to make a move and say, God, I'm going to tell the world that you are the Savior of my life through baptism. That's your move. And then the third is that, that some of us, we need to move to do the things that God asks us to do in his word. And I think for a lot of you, and I know right now for me, that you might be thinking of a situation or a time or a person or a broken relationship or a parent or someone that you need to say, hey, I forgive you too. Or you need to say, hey, I'm sorry. Or you need to say, hey, I love you. Or maybe you need to say, hey, do you know my friend? His name is Jesus. I'm not sure what that move is for you in that last one. But I think tonight is the night that God is saying to move. So no one looking around.